<laughs> Welcome back to another episode of St. Joseph Radio Presents. I'm Peter Krutz. This is Sean Miller, and we're talking about Reasons for God, Part 3. Part 3. So. Part 3, and there's a whole bunch of reasons. you got to listen to this to, to really appreciate it. But if you want something fun as a teaser, Google When Socrates Meets Jesus. It's really cool. Socrates shows up on a modern-day campus in a class called Debunking Christology. Well, we're not, we're not going to debunk Christology. We're going to prove that God exists. Yeah, St. Thomas's five ways. It's more using reason to try to get yourself to think that there's a supreme being. There's obviously much more than those five proofs, but we wanted to do him justice because he's the man. A lot of people who I love and respect and read, he, they write about him and uh, love Thomas Aquinas. So he's one who weds faith and reason, someone that we got to tap into more. Listen, it'll be fun. <laughs> Tell a friend. Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, thank you, Matt. And I am your host today. I'm uh, Peter Karutz. We are live in studio with Sean Miller, the DRE over at uh, Immaculate Heart, right? Yes. I thought so. So welcome to St. Joseph Radio Presents. We are coming to you live, live, live from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and if you live in St. Louis, Missouri, or in the United States, you've probably heard about all things new. Uh, you know, we're getting all kinds of national press. It's And some of it is good and some of it is not so good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, look, I, I always think that we ought to start our program. First off, tell you what we're going to talk about. This is going to be... Reasons for God, part yeah, three. Part three, yeah, we've been doing a series. This is going to look specifically at uh, some of the five ways mentioned by St. Thomas Aquinas, and we'll explain that as we go. And I'm telling you, sometimes you have to get down to, is there a God? You know, <laughs> I, Seriously, I mean, we, we all, the faithful, preaching to the choir, we, we know it, we live it, we believe it, we, you know, we're, it, it guides and informs our life. But others don't. But first off, with regard to this, I think it's always good to start a, you know, a show on Catholic, a program on Catholic radio with a little heresy. So, uh, I'm sure everybody has heard uh, the the story of the rich young ruler who went to Jesus and he said, "Lord, tell me what I need to do to attain to attain eternal life." And our Lord looks at him very clearly. He says, "Well, you know, obey the law." Um, you know, honor your father and your mother, love the Lord thy God, on and on. And he, and he says, uh, Lord, I have, I have done this from my youth. And then the Lord says, then uh, give what you have to the poor and follow me. And, you know, every homily I have ever heard talks about this man who had a lot of possessions and implying that's what he did wrong. So here's my heresy. I don't think that's what he did wrong. I don't think having a lot of possessions is what he did wrong. What he did wrong was he went away. He went away. 
We all have problems. We all have our difficulty. Look, we all have our own sin. But God wants us to come to him, not to go away. So, so be that young, you know, rich young ruler and, and, and know that the thing he did wrong was go away. Here's the last part of my heresy. I've always speculated, and I know I'm wrong. He's unnamed, that young ruler. Wouldn't it be cool if his name was Nicodemus? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cool if he's the guy who went back and met with Jesus and talked about you know, baptism? Wouldn't it be cool if he was the man who asked for Christ's body? He came back. I think we all need to come back. Don't go away, and if you're away, come back. And if you're listening to this program, you're Catholic or you're Protestant, look, you're here for a reason. The Holy Spirit has, has prompted you, and you said yes to it. So, so don't go away. If you've gone away, come back. And well, if you're going to help someone come back, you might need to help them know why there's God. Well, you think about what we're talking about, atheism, agnosticism, you know, indifferentism. Those are people who just kind of drifted away, and maybe they kind of say, well, I don't know what I believe now. What's my classification? I guess I am an, an atheist. or I'm, Yeah, I'm a nun. That's N-O-N-E. That's one of the largest growing groups in the, yeah. in the, in the church in the U.S., or maybe in the world. I don't know. But, yeah, in the um, world. <laughs> you know, it's sad because really atheism and, and unbelief, it's, it's one of the big problems of our times. And, uh, you know, you think about what we say is the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God, he shall have no other gods besides me. Man, man is a religious being. Yeah. So we're made to worship. The question is, if we don't worship the true God, we're going to worship a false one, which typically we know is the top three, money, sex, power, whatever. And it's like, so that, that that's idolatry. And that gets you in massive or- disorders, destruction. Absolutely. So, you know, the whole point of this talk is to kind of continue on where we've been, just to try and, you know, cultivate sanity. You want people to live in the same world that you understand, that's, that's order, that's, that's given by God. Unfortunately, there's, there's so many uh, misperceptions. A lot of people think that belief in God is kind of like in the camp of, oh, you believe in the tooth fairy. That's nice. Yeah. Nice theory to make you somehow comforted, and you hope that maybe you get a prize at the end of the day. You know, so we're going to be looking at St. Thomas Aquinas's kind of proofs for God. They're, they're more, quote, philosophical, rational. And then, like, the next time we gather, we're going to get into more of um, arguments that are more theological, historical, scientific, as well as philosophical. So, like, um, but I wanted to give tribute to the great master, Thomas Aquinas, who yes. wrote his Summa Theologica. Right. To kind of, um, it was like a beginner's course. Yeah, people. which is what it means. <laughs> I mean, well, thousands pages long. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately today, I mean, it, it is hard to get through. It's kind of sometimes can be like like reading Shakespeare, you know. But it's like it's meant to be an introductory course. So I'm going to try and do my best to come up with a memory aid to summarize these five arguments, and and then um, you know that'll kind of lead us into next time when we get into the acronym Jumped. So my big memory aid next time twelve. I got twelve reasons Jumped J U M P E D. I'll explain what those each are. I'll, I'll use it twice. But this one is, is bumped, B-U-M-P. We're going to skip the E-D. So these are going to be five arguments that I kind of put Thomas Aquinas's five ways into this memory. So that's down the road, God willing. We'll get to it in the time that we have here today. But um, we got to make an opening statement first. But first, we should probably begin with some prayer. Oh, you're saving me again. It's your job, your idea, your job. Would Let's you pray? do it. So we pray through the seat of wisdom in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Mother, we pray for the Holy Spirit to come through you, that you would magnify this talk in these airwaves for whoever hear him now and in the future. We trust in you. We love you. We thank you. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord, Lord is, is with, with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, womb Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. St. Thomas. Pray for us. Pray for us. It's interesting. You think about St. Thomas the Apostle, you know, the quote, the doubter. And then you got the St. Thomas Aquinas, who is like the uh, the guy who really weds faith and reason together. I just gave a talk to men's group, and we talked about faith and science. And it's amazing the split that we feel today. And I'm going to give you some of the consequences of kind of where we're at with these perceptions about their, uh, them being split. A lot of people believe that faith and science are split. But first, kind of an introduction to St. Thomas Aquinas. He gives these five ways. They're, they're, they're called cosmological arguments. So again, these aren't arguments in the proof of the physical sciences. These are like rational um, arguments that we can know God, we, we can infer that there is a supreme being based upon facts in nature or respect to the universe as a whole. So you kind of see a fact. Here's a footprint. Oh, there must be a foot that made the print, you know? So it's kind of like you look at the universe as a whole, you think, okay, well, who created that? You know, so you kind of reason back from effects to causes. So, but I just want to preview, speaking about the cosmological stuff, um, basically, again, this is about, we're going to be talking about the universe, reason, and so forth. But when we get into the term science, I just got to say this because, uh, you know, I, it's amazing how people just redefine terms. I mean, we used to always believe that the king of the sciences was theology. The queen was philosophy. Unfortunately, the term science, which literally means knowledge, has been hijacked to kind of think, oh, unless I can test it, taste it, touch it, see it, then it must not be really real. So we've kind of eclipsed reality to be what we can put under a microscope or a telescope or whatnot. But yet, think about everything every day from logic, math, history, arts, moral reasoning, beauty, intuition, love. You know, trust in the word of another. Think about a courtroom. You know, what is what is evidence? Is it just what you can put under a microscope or is it testimony? So like there's a whole, you know, aspect about knowledge that is more than just you know, what's on this table. The problem is today is like, okay, you know, we hear the terms, especially in our times, follow the science. You know, think about climate change. Think about COVID. Think about vaccines. Think about whatever latest theory is. Well, it comes down to whose interpretation of, of the science. You know, like science today has become almost like an idol in our culture. And I'm not just talking about science in the empirical world, but like science in anything. Whose interpretation of scripture? Whose interpretation of reason? Whose interpretation of the facts? Now, it's it's interesting, like we were talking in this men's group the other night about, you know, follow the science in light of this, all this, you know, COVID and vaccines and shots and here's the data and masking and whatnot and social distancing. And, you know, oftentimes kind of the conclusion as more facts are coming out, is it really follow the science or follow the money? I mean, you wish that people who are scientists, you know, could say, all right, I have no skin in the game. I'm not getting paid anything by these so-called companies who want me to produce these things. I'm really trying to follow the data as it is. But we all know in whatever science it is, worldview, ideology, and especially the lure of money come into play. You know, so I got a little story that... Uh, Members of this foundation, they were given a $5 grant. I'm sorry, a $5 million grant. A few nickels there. <laughs> if you can somehow make a link, historical link, with ancient technology and modern civilization. Mm-hmm. You know, if somehow if you, could, if you could dig and find that maybe our ancestors had more of a, of a preview into our modern world of technology, could you make the link? Well, when the offer was made for $5 bucks, soon comes out this um, find that these scientists found traces of copper cable deep within this historical dig. They came to the conclusion that their ancestors already had a telephone network more than 100 years ago. 
These were scientists in New York, just from their, their dig. That, that was their conclusion. Well, then not to be outdone, in the weeks that followed, California archaeologists, they report finding a 200-year-old copper cable, a 200-year-old. They came to the conclusion that their ancestors in California already had an advanced high-tech communications network 100 years earlier than the New Yorkers. Well, not to be outdone, one week later, a local newspaper in Missouri reported the following. After digging for water in his pasture 100 feet deeper than archaeologists in New York and California, a common-sense farmer reported that he had found absolutely nothing. <laughs> the scientific conclusion reached, therefore, in making his case for the grant money of $5 million was that 300 years ago, Missouri had already gone wireless. Oh, <laughs> All right. That's great. It's goofy, but it's like, okay, is this your interpretation yeah, of the data? Go. Yeah, sure. Okay, we're going to find anything. Well, it must be a sign that there's something there. Now, so it's not just interpretation. It's also like definitions. You know, like last time we shared this, um, this the guy who was uh, did the series on the cosmos, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, mm-hmm. he, he basically had said, you know, there was no evidence for God. He said, this is why religions are called faiths collectively, because you believe something in the absence of evidence. That's what it is. That's why we call it faith. Otherwise, we would call all religions evidence. So he's kind of making this redefinition of like, what is faith? What is evidence? You know, so it's like, you know, what is your definition of evidence? And what type of evidence could I give that would satisfy you that there is a supreme being? So, I mean, to believe without any evidence is absurd. And that's what really the church is opposed against. We are not in this kind of what's called fideism, which is like, I believe just because... Uh, I want to believe. It makes me comforted inside. I mean, that's kind of like wishful thinking. Remember the movie um, Indiana Jones and Last Crusade? Yeah. There's a scene where he has to go to the three tests at the end of the show. Right. And then he's got to make this, you know, incomprehensible leap, leap of faith. Leap of yeah. faith, you yeah. know? And then in the background, you got to believe, boy. You got to believe. So he's like, okay, this is impossible. I'm just going to psychologically, you know, pump myself up to, to just emotionally believe. And then he makes, quote, the leap of faith. Well, that's not how we look at faith. You know, faith is a leap in the light, not into the dark. You know, it always takes trust. Like when you jump out of an airplane, you know, you have reasons why you're jumping out without knowing that you're thinking you're going to hit and just drop dead. You know, you have a thing called a parachute. So, you know, but you still kind of have to make an act of faith and say, I'm not 100% sure these ropes are going to hold up. Right. But you have reasons, right? So unfortunately, one of the well-known atheists back in the day was a guy named Bertrand Russell. And he said that where there is evidence, no one speaks of faith. We do not speak of faith that two and two are four, or that the earth is round. We only speak of faith when we wish to substitute emotion for evidence. So he's like, okay, is this your view of faith is emotion? So what happens, you know, like so many other errors in the world, when you get backed into a corner, you redefine the terms. Mm-hmm. And this has affected the perception of many about what is faith, what is science. I mean, they did this 16-year survey, one of the biggest ones uh, a sociological survey on youth and religion ever undertaken. And this guy, Dr. Christian Smith, had said that many of our young people have left the church, and they say 70% stated that they believe, this is why they left, that the teachings of science and religion ultimately conflict with one another. 70%. Nearly all American youth associate science with evidence and proof, but associate religion with blind faith and private subjective opinion. So that's 70% of youth, and this is also 60% of all religious people Crazy. Who, who say this. Now, I think it's important for us to say when we're preaching, teaching, talking, whether we're a layman in our own family, father, or a priest, bishop, it's like we got to realize that people really are leaving the church oftentimes because of this belief that science and faith are opposed. 
Right, and and most of them may not have PhDs in science, so they're they're just parroting what people have told them without realizing what they're really doing or saying. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm your host, Peter Karutz, and this is Sean Mueller. He is talking about Reasons for God, Part 3, Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, so like um, the problem is we're in a cultural fall called scientism, which basically says the only true form of knowledge is what you can test. You know, um, if somebody throws out, you know, at you say, I'm a man of science, I don't really believe in this tooth fairy stuff, you could say, okay, um, so are you saying that what we should believe is what only can be proved scientifically? If, if you say that to somebody, they could say, yes, we should only believe what can be proved scientifically. Then you can ask, has it been proved scientifically that we should only believe what can be proved scientifically? scientifically. What scientific experiment proved that? So obviously it's a philosophical statement. You know, it's kind of like taking a metal detector to, and trying to find grandma's antique wooden spoon lost at the beach. You're not going to find it with the metal detector. And that's kind of what science tries to say is that this is the all-embracing metal detector that finds all things. Like, that's just not the reality. So, like, um, we've got all kinds of reasons for, for God. And I'm going to talk about this again. It's, it's in the acronym JUMPED, J-U-M-P-E-D. You know, the first one's going to be Jesus, Justice, Jews, etc. But uh, I'm going to start today with this, you know, preview of, of Bumped. And I'm just going to say it now. So this is like what I put into Thomas Aquinas's cosmological arguments, the argument from B, being, from an uncaused cause, U, M, motion, P, perfection, D, design. Being, uncaused cause, motion, perfection, design, B, U, M, P, D. So these are rational arguments. And, you know, and, and it's like uh, we believe, you know, also there's arguments where God reveals himself in, in the world and in Scripture and personally. But these are meant to show that uh, there is a supreme being, that our faith is not opposed to reason, that anybody who kind of just begins to kind of think rationally, that you can um, kind of come to these conclusions. So, like I spoke last time about the two tracks of reason and revelation. Think railroad track, R&R, reason, revelation. We spoke about the two wings of faith and reason that Pope John Paul II spoke about in his encyclical Fides et Ratio. And it kind of goes, so like with the two tracks, with the two wings, uh, these are kind of show and point to kind of that God has authored two books, the book of Scripture and the book of nature. So these are ways to kind of understand God using reason, revelation, supernatural revelation, and then natural. So we're going to try and ponder the book of nature and its high point in nature, which is, guess what? It's, it's us. You know, you think about the account of what we are as human beings. We're, we kind of stand at the high point of, and we're going to try and use this thing that we have, this mind, this brain, this faculty of light and reason to kind of ponder these things. So long story short, uh, again, these are not in the proofs of empirical sciences, but in terms of kind of... Um, converging and convincing arguments so that by looking at ourselves and the world, we can kind of reason to uh, um, this whole idea that, that God is God. And, and the gift of, of this is, um, I, I love this quote, if you think about um, John 1.1 in the scriptures, just to kind of go back to a little scriptural point here, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The word for word there is logos, where we get the word logic. It's, it's a term that means reason, um, thought, intellect, speech, but basically its point is, is that when God made the world, he made it rational, ordered, designed, intent. It was through thought. It was through mathematics. It was through logic. And here, here we are, male and female, we get a share in that gift 
of being in this ordered, rational mind so we can understand logic and arguments and the, and the gift of the intellect. Um, I love the image from the Sistine Chapel where you see, you know, Michael, Michelangelo, he has God and Adam touching fingers, you know, and that's, it's like the finger of God's hand is touching Adam. He's going to bring him life. You know, but if you look at that whole scene, it's uh, not just as God's going to breathe life into Adam through this touch, but like one one of these scholars said, if you look at the where if, at the at the image of God on that scene, it's like it's he's kind of encased in what looks like the outline of a brain. Oh, it's a really fascinating thing. I have a have a picture of it here, huh. but um, it's really cool because. Michelangelo, you know, and we all should believe that the gift of our of our brains, which is how the you know the, the the mind operates in this great gift of body, we're body and soul, but this gift of intellect to share in this rational order of who God is. I mean, what a beautiful thing! So that unfortunately, we oftentimes don't use this power of the soul, memory, intellect, and will to think. You know, we're kind of more of an emotional age. So, like, oftentimes arguments for God don't appeal to people because they're like, you know, like they say, dude, I'm here to drink, not to think, <laughs> you know, I don't really care. That gives my, I, I, you know, you, you're giving me a Charlie horse between the ears. You're like, well, I mean, I honestly could say I was not much of a thinker, uh, you know, growing up, not until it kind of kicked in kind of this conversion experience, but now I'm still trying to catch up. But it's like, you know, we're made in the image of the King of Kings, not King Kong. You know, we've got this intellect. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm called to kind of think and build up the kingdom of God, not the planet of, of the apes. You know, I can think and act more like a monk than a monkey, you know. So it's a beautiful life. Unfortunately, it takes work. Thinking right. is can be difficult. But it's like, you know, by looking at this world, we can, we can infer to, like, reasonable explanations. If I go out and see Mount Rushmore and I look at the, you know, the heads of the four presidents there— it's just could, wind and rain. Uh, yeah. I, am I going to infer like, well, what? Or like, who created this? And so that's the way that it is um, with the universe. So unfortunately, though, we can use our faculties uh, both to think and then to try and also rationalize in opposite ways. You'd like to say, if there is a God and we can nat- naturally infer him using the light of reason, then why are there atheists? You know, why doesn't everybody get it. Why don't we all kind of see it? Well, it's based upon different interpretations of the data that can go into worldview, ideology. Sometimes people don't want there to be a God, just like we don't want there yeah. to be an accountability or want there to be police or want there to be some judge. What in the world would the atheists do if there wasn't a God? They don't want God, so they devote their life to find to try and say there is no God. Yeah. Thank goodness so, there's a God for them to fight against. Well, one of the things in any discussion, I think, about knowledge, you got to always consider the influence of sin. And we don't really talk about this much in terms of like, okay, it, we're, we're not just dealing with sheer rationale and intellect. We're dealing with blind spots. You know, we believe that we are in a fallen world, a world of shadows. You know, our intellect has been darkened, our will is weakened. Um, to actually use our sight of soul, clearly that takes work. It takes purity. It takes upright heart and a sound will. It's kind of like the eyes. We need glasses oftentimes to see. Well, it's the same thing with the spiritual eyes. So now there's a, there's a great text uh, in, in the catechism that says this. It says, this is number 37. In the historical conditions in which he finds himself, man experiences many difficulties to know God by the light of reason alone. 
Though human reason is, strictly speaking, truly capable by its own natural power in light, in light of attaining to a true and certain knowledge of the one personal God who watches over and controls the world by his providence, there are many obstacles, though, which prevent reason from the effective and fruitful use of this inborn faculty. For the truths that concern the relations between God and man wholly transcend the visible order of things, and if they are translated into human inaction and influence it, they are called for self-surrender. The human mind in its turn is hampered in the attaining of such truths not only by the impact of the senses and the imagination, but also by disordered appetites, which are also the consequences of original sin. So here's the line. So it happens that men in such matters easily persuade themselves that what they would not like to be true is false or at least doubtful. Yeah, there you are. My mind's made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. That's right. You know, And that's all of us, right? Every one of us. There's a, a book that's often quoted, this um, philosopher named Thomas Nagel, who wrote a book called Mind and Cosmos. And um, he basically says, you know, he has a lot of friends who are scientists who are very religious, and he's just kind of uh, confused by that fact. He, he doesn't know how to reconcile it. You know, he goes, he goes, I want atheism to be true. I'm made uneasy by the, by the fact that some of the most well, intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. So now, you know, there could be such things as willful blindness. Sure. We can say that I don't want this to be true. I don't want to live in that reality. Now, the question becomes, why would you not want there to be a God? But I mean, I think it doesn't take that much logic to say, well, we don't want maybe accountability. We don't want justice. We don't want someone to know our crime, etc. I think, you know, sometimes the darkness, the light can be more painful than being in the dark. And that's just all of us. But the problem is, you know, like if you look at Paul's letter to the Romans, he said, basically, you should be able to look at creation and then infer the creator. You can see the art, the, the art and look at the, at the artist. You know, but unfortunately, if you don't acknowledge it, Paul says there are consequences. It says they knew God. They did not accord him glory, though, as God or give him thanks. Instead, they became vain in their reasoning and their senseless minds were darkened. While claiming to be wise, they became fools. And it says that since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind. Hmm. So when you think about this, if you don't acknowledge reality as it is, something's going to happen. Something's going to give. You're going to kind of think in a disordered way. So really, I think, you know, it's not just about sanctity that we're looking about. It's about, it's about sanity. I want to kind of see, see reality as it is. And unfortunately, like G.K. Chesterton said, the person who gives up belief in God, it's not that they no longer believe in nothing. It's that they'll believe in really in anything. anything. Yeah. yeah. So this R&R, you know, railroad track, it can get derailed. And unfortunately, we know that that's kind of what sin can do. So the challenge is, is to kind of to fight, to work, to uh, keep plugging away and do, and do what we can to kind of, you know, make sure our windshield wipers of our souls are clean. And, uh, but to realize that I am by nature broken. I am by nature inclined towards darkness. I am by nature wanting to say it's all about me, myself, and I, not about uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and the thing that you said that I better spit out pretty quickly because we have a commercial coming up. But, you know, I won't believe anything unless there's science. You know, let me ask you, Sean, did you know, do you know more now today than you did when you were 10? Absolutely. How about when you were 15? Yep. 18? Yeah. 25, 30, right? For some reason, we all think that today is the is the ultimate 
knowledge that we will ever have, that all that is ever known to man is known right now, and we have perfect understanding. Clearly, that's absurd. We're going to learn more. Faith and science are like two wings of a dove. They will work together. One may have to catch up with the other. So your job right now out there is to invite somebody to come and learn a little bit about how to prove there is God. It's in our hearts. It's in our minds. We're inclined to it. Help us convince others. This is Matt Logeman with St. Joseph Radio with a great gift idea, a St. Benedict bracelet, a trendy accessory for men, women, and children that not only looks good on everyone's wrist, but is actually armor for the spiritual battlefield. This unique bracelet is handmade in Europe and contains 10 medals within the braided cord in the adult size and 7 medals in the children's size. On the front of each beautiful medal is St. Benedict holding a cross in his right hand, the object of his devotion. On the back of each medal is a cross. Surrounding the back of the medal and cross are the letters VR. S N M V S M Q L I V B in Latin reference, which translates, Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. And finally, located at the top is the word Pax, which means peace. All bracelets come packaged with an informational card and the St. Benedict blessing, which your local priest can administer. This gift is for everyone you love and care about, including yourself. Available from St. Joseph Radio, check the website at www.saintjosephradio.net. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the Pro-Life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Well, welcome back. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents. I'm your host, Peter Karutz. We're in studio live with Sean Miller, and we're talking about Reasons for God, part three. But before we do, let me, uh, ladies, does anyone like wine? Well, let me tell you about a new group. It's called Women in New, I'm sorry, Women in the New Evangelization. Wine, Women in the New Evangelization. They have a women's conference coming up, and it's called, called by name. Uh, It's going to be Saturday, the 5th of November. That's next week from 8.30 to 3 p.m., 3.30. So it's it's kind of a half a day thing. It's going to be at Immaculate Conception Parish, ICDS, so um, please uh, come and participate. I'm looking for a a register. You can register at catholicvineyard.com. Oh, that's cute, catholicvineyard.com. So please, think about coming. If if you're a lady, come and join. If you're a man, invite your uh, wives and girlfriends and daughters and, and friends to, to go. There's going to be one, two, three, four, five speakers. It looks like a great event. Again, next Saturday, November 5th from 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Go to catholicvineyard.com. Uh, by the way, you, you um, I think, discouraged, uh, Sean, you discouraged people from reading the Summa in its totality, which might 
might be a, a big task anyway, but let me recommend a book <laughs> called The Summa of the Summa. Mm-hmm. It's written by Peter Kreeft, who is, uh, you know, the Chesterton of our time, I think. And it's a, it's a great, great, um, it's, a, it's a great, great guide. Uh, also, we're going to be talking about Thomas Aquinas. There is, a, again, my favorite guy, um, Kreeft. He has a 15-chapter book, mm-hmm. and you can get it on audio as well. It's called The Philosophy of Thomas mm-hmm. Aquinas. Absolutely brilliant. And when we get through the program here, we'll talk about a couple other resources. You don't have to read the Summa in its totality in the original Latin to gain a lot from this. So we're, we're here back <laughs> talking about Reasons for God, Part 3, and we're just going to walk into the philosophy of... Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, people have joked that um, reading the Summa is like Summa wrestling. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, so uh, real quick, St. Thomas uh, was a 13th century um, Italian theologian, a Dominican monk, and uh, in in writing this, he really tried to wed faith and reason together. So his true intent was to demonstrate a general, objective, rational, philosophical case for God's existence using commonly available observations. The arguments are basically simple, natural, intuitive, and commonsensical. Uh, we have to become complex and clever in order to doubt or dispute it. It's based on an instinct of mind that we all share, the instinct that says everything needs an explanation. You observe some fact of nature, and then you seek to explain its cause. So they're not meant to say kind of who God is. You know, that's what revelation is. You know, we can know a lot about somebody from just the externals, but to know who they are. So these are just that God is, right? It's not to try and prove the Judeo-Christian God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus is divine, right? Just to kind of show a supreme being. I mean, the Catechism kind of give an overview. It says, the world and man, this is number 34 in the Catechism, the world and man attest that they contain within themselves neither their first principle nor their final end, but rather that they participate in being itself, which alone is without origin or end. Thus, in different ways, man can come to know that there exists a reality, which is the first cause and final end of all things, a reality that, quote, everyone calls God. That's actually a summary of his five ways. So that's article number 34. That's a quote from the Summa Theologian. Uh, Theologica, I'm sorry. Now, for those who might find these abstract, I just want to mention, um, I listened to a talk by Bishop Robert Barron. He's very well known in the church, but he said that when he was at the age of 14, he was in high school. And he said that um, one of his religion teachers mentioned Aquinas' proofs for God's existence, you know, and, he, and they went through it. And he said, it just grabbed my attention for some reason. He said, I was a Catholic kid going to Mass on Sunday. I believed in God, but I just never thought that one could think about God in a serious way. So he said, I went to the local library. I found uh, Mortimer Adler. He said, this was in the Great Book series. He had two volumes on Aquinas. I took one of them off the shelf. I remember tucking it in under the T-shirt I had on. I rode my 10-speed bike home with this Adler book, and, it's, and I started reading Aquinas. He said, I had no idea what I was reading, but it was a fascinating moment of my life. And because of that moment, he said, I'm standing here right now speaking to wow. you. So, so I've been amazed by a lot of these guys that I really admire. Like you said, Dr. Craft, you know, these guys are really studied in Thomas Aquinas. So he is one of these that really weds faith and reason. And uh, so it's just a call to kind of like what you said, you know, try and dip your, um, you know, feet in some of his teachings. Now, you think about these, Aquinas was a Dominican monk, and there's a great series, you know, like there's large series is what, what uh, you had mentioned, but then there's one called Aquinas 101, and they helped do some of the Summa 
wrestling for us. And so I just want to read a kind of a brief excerpt from um, one of the monks there. This is uh, Father James Brent, and he has a uh, little video clip. These are like five to ten minute video clips about proofs and, um, you know, various aspects on Aquinas. But he says he starts out, you know, this is on five ways to prove God exists. One of the greatest questions of all time is whether God exists. Thomas takes the question head on with his famous five ways or five proofs. He said, Aquinas taught that human beings have a natural knowledge of God, or to put it another way, that we can know the existence of God by using our natural reason or human intelligence. That's the kind of knowledge we're exploring here, our natural knowledge of God. So how do we know the existence of God? Well, the basic principle is that we know the existence of God from our experience of the world of nature and looking for an ultimate explanation of it. We use the same kind of reasoning that we use when we know the existence of any invisible cause from visible effects. For example, if I'm driving down the freeway and I see a billowing cloud of smoke coming up from the horizon, I can infer that there must be a fire, even if I do not see the fire, even if it's blocked from my view. The fire is invisible, but the smoke it produces is not. And I know the existence of the invisible cause from the invisible effect. effect. So just like, again, footprints... Uh, deer tracks. Hunters know this, right? We know. But Aquinas also realized that this inference or argument was something like a seed. The seed can develop and grow. As I study, like, what's the cause of that? It can happen through study and the application of the mind to the many philosophical issues involved in making the inference. But the seed can also be crushed by attachment to sin, willful self-denial, false philosophies, and other adverse conditions that can ruin it. So, we can take the fact and either think about it and ponder it, or we can kind of crush it because we don't maybe want to see what the outcome of that fact is. So Thomas believes that the existence of God is not self-evident as such, but it's known through kind of rational demonstration and conclusion. So again, back to the memory aid. Here it is, bumped. Argument from being, from uncaused cause, from motion, from perfection, from design. I thought bumped was a good memory aid because... Um, when you think about bumped, it evokes movement. And the first three in particular have to do with getting things moving. So B, the argument from being, necessary being. Um, this has also been called the argument from possibility or contingency, right? Uh, contingency just means dependence on something else. So you think about this. This way observes all things are contingent, which is to say all things have not always existed and might not always exist. Trees, homes, leaves, people, nations, rocks, rivers, they come and go. Yet, if this is the case, absolutely, then at some point nothing would have existed and thus nothing could come to be. But this is impossible because things do exist. Therefore, there must be something that is not contingent and responsible for the existence of all contingent things. In other words... While things come and go, one thing must always remain the same. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is God. <coughs> Got to have a little cough break. No, so. you better have a little cough break. So being, because we are, and you know, we're talking about an eternity, something <coughs> that has uh, been going on for a long, long time, what is the possibility, probability, that we are here right now? It, it's zero if there isn't a, isn't a God. Well, to be or not to be, that's the question. Why yeah. is there something rather than nothing? So we're saying all of our, you know, all of beings are dependent. You think about where you came from and from your parents and their parents and their parents and their parents. So we infer. So how do I know that my great, 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 great times 10 grandpa existed? I have no proof of any data that he left. But guess what? 
I can infer it because I exist. So it goes with being. Everything in the universe is contingent on something else with respect to its existence. Contingent things demand as their ultimate explanation a non-contingent being, a necessary being. So this being is what many people mean by, by God. In fact, it's interesting is that when uh, Moses asked in the book of Exodus, you know, who are you? He said, I am who am, which is kind of really this cryptic answer of like, I am ex- existence. I, yeah. I exist. I, my essence is my existence. Yeah. So again, why is there something rather than nothing? This answers the question. Now, people say, well, who created God? You know, like, but you're like, it's kind of nonsensical. Like, it's like asking to say, to whom is the bachelor married? Or why isn't the triangle a square? God, we say, is the uncreated creator, the source of all being outside of time and space who created all things. Which makes perfect sense. If I want to know, I have an iPhone right here. If I look at this iPhone and I want to look, I want to find out who created the iPhone, I'm not going to find the creator of the iPhone within the phone. (laughs) So if I'm looking at who created time, space, and matter, well, that person, that being must be outside of time, space, and matter. It's only logical. Right, which leads into the next one, which is the uncaused cause, which is basically we observe in the world that everything that exists has a cause. A series of causes cannot go on indefinitely. It must have had a beginning. Since it had a beginning, it needs a cause for from nothing, nothing comes. Therefore, at the beginning, there must be an uncaused cause, this uncaused cause we call God, which this has been amazing. It's been really shown kind of like in the, the scientific has been a backup for this in this Big Bang cosmology, which basically says that that we see the world accelerating. You can kind of then go backwards and say that it must begin at some point in the finite past, but that matter and space and time began. And now this is wild because uh, that makes it awkward that it kind of shows that the universe had this beginning. And so this cause must have been uncaused because it's outside of time and space. It's changeless, it's timeless, and it must be an immaterial being because it's not burdened by by matter and space. It must be uncaused because there cannot be an infinite regress of causes. It must be timeless and therefore changeless, at least without the universe, because it created time. And because it also created space, it must transcend space as well and therefore be immaterial, not physical. And then it must be massively powerful when you think about the cause of the universe. So this is really something to ponder. Like things, you got to explain them. Here's an effect. How do you explain the cause? If you see a chain of dominoes, and they're moving, you know, down the road. Like, who was, the, who was the cause who set these up and then who pushed them down, which kind of leads us into the next argument, the argument from motion. So, like, Thomas said that this is the, the first and most manifest way, is that we see things moving. So if something is moving, you're like, who put it in motion? I mean, that's pretty simple. So whatever is in motion must be put in motion by another. Since nothing can move itself, the implication is that an indefinite chain of movers is impossible. An external agent or force is, was necessary to cause or instigate the motion that is in the universe. Movement must have a beginning. Thus, the beginning of movement is the unmoved mover, which we call God. So if you see a train, you, you, you won't say, wow, it was always running, mm-hmm. you know. You see it moving. So if, if you suggest that the cars are moving themselves, you are in the realms of absurdity. So we know that something started the train to move. And so also, the longer the train, the more power necessary to move them. Very scientific. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. 
Right. And so that again, we're taught we're melding science and reason. Yeah, and this isn't just movement by you know, like distance. It could be movement from like you think about a a piece of wood being moved to turn into sure. ash. You know, there's right. there's, there's there's change. A cause. So, so yeah. it's any kind of change, what what causes that to actually uh, take place? So so far so good. So far so good. So Thomas being, has done a good job so far. <laughs> being being uncaused cause. Motion. And motion. So, like, yeah. these are the three things. They think about just movement, making things happen. And then we get the argument from perfection. So the simplest way to explain this one is kind of like if you look at a picture of me and my wife. So there is a beauty. Are you perfect? And there is the beast. Oh, okay. I got <laughs> so you conclude that basically there are standards. Like, if you say, wow, my wife is much more prettier than John, then obviously they would say, well, what is your standard? There must be some kind of standard. So, you know, if you think about, like, again, beauty or beast, if you think about right or wrong, good or bad, tall or short, hot or cold, smart and dumb, wise or fool, we recognize that there's standards. Well, the question becomes, where did you get your standard? So we all recognize that intelligent being is better than unintelligent being, that a being able to give and receive love is better than one that cannot. That our way of being is better, richer, and fuller than that, let's say, of a stone, a flower, a worm, an ant. But if these degrees of perfection pertain to being in finite creature, then there must exist a best, a source and real standard of all the perfections that we recognize belong to us as beings. This absolutely perfect being, the being of all beings, the perfection of all perfections, is what mankind thinks of God. And that's perfect beauty, perfect good. I mean, how do we know what is good if there isn't an ultimate standard for good? Right. And if there is no ultimate standard for morality, then it's really anything. Anything goes. Yeah. So, what is good? What is true? What is beautiful? So, therefore, you know, it's interesting when you look at, um, you know, we, we have these, they say that you can kind of know a little bit about who God, taking just like, you know, mankind made in his image and all the perfections that we kind of, you know, long for, seek, or have within ourselves, you can kind of then perceive who God is. But you think about then these standards, though, it kind of points as like, oh, if this is A, then how much greater must be B? If this is the spark, oh, what must be the flame? So like my wife had said that one of the her um, sisters that taught her in school, she says, good, better, best, never let it rest until the good is better and the better is best. There you go. So these are, these are some beautiful um, standards. So, so kind of to summarize this one. Before you do, this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm your host, Peter Karutz. We're live in studio with Sean Miller, and we're talking about the reasons for God. This is part three. Yeah, and so again, this could become kind of dry to some people, but I'm thinking, oh, you know, geez. it's like, uh, you know, we're going to conclude with some questions. Because the, the game plan is that when you, when you feel like you're in the hot seat or someone tries to make you feel intimidated by your faith, you can say this. All right, um, question one. Why is there something rather than nothing? Right. Um, you say you don't believe. Explain being. Okay. Uh, explain causes. I mean, how do you explain the, these causes both now and in, in the big one? How, how explain the universe? When I have a problem like that and I'm talking to an atheist, the first thing I do is I push them real hard. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good because it's like you want them to think too. You yeah. Know, like we can pose questions and to say, you know, we've, we've got a rational viewpoint. We're not just trying to say, I emotionally feel that I want a tooth fairy in the right. sky to give me that's right. know, some, some but, and And we have to not be dismayed from the ridiculous and condescending arguments. You know, oh, you believe in the... 
you know, giant flying spaghetti monster. You know, I mean, just just let those things fly by, if you will, and let's get down to the reality of the philosophy. This is Thomas Aquinas's philosophy, but it does harken back to some of the Greek philosophers, which we'll get to at the end. Yeah. So being uncaused cause, motion, motion perfection, perfection, and then now D for design. Now this design. is uh, bumped. It's it's purposeful design. So this is directed, guided design. We see things in the world that move towards goals. And purpose, just as the arrow does not move toward its goal except by the archers directing it. Thus, there must be an intelligent designer who directs all things to their goals, their end, their purpose. And we kind of conclude that this is God. So it's called a teleological argument, which means that things act towards ends. And, and you know, it's really um, able to see it when you look at, like, the amazing wonders of creation. So, like, um, just think about the monarch butterflies, that fly from all across the country into Mexico each year. You think about um, these coho salmon, they're hatched, they go out in the ocean 3,000 miles, and they work their way back to their hatchery. They give birth to their eggs, lay their eggs, I should say, and then, and then they die. And, and, and then you, you think about these geese that, that fly in this, in, in this pattern, you, you know, um, and you're like, how how they do it aerodynamically that like the geese the the first geese kind of takes the the winds and then they all kind of can kind of rely on on his breaking up the winds and they they rotate you know and it made me think of a story so uh years ago we were at a at a fishing trip and then we teamed up with these guys and and I got to say they had a had a quite a few in them already but they were telling some jokes and stuff not and, and he asked us he said he got real serious because we were talking about all kinds of stuff and he goes now he goes have you ever seen how geese fly in that in that V. And he goes, have you ever noticed that one side is typically longer than the other? And he said, uh, do you know why that is? He said, there's more geese on that side. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Well, real, there you go. <laughs> real co- no. that, that works. <laughs> I mean, it's common sense, though. Sure. And, and I think that this is what sometimes we kind of complicate things. Right. You know, but it's, it's common sense. And now, so... In, in all these things, from geese to galaxies, from butterflies to the Big Bang, this is Big Bang. This is a divine dance, not not a cosmic chant. So, like you think about all this as being ordered. Like you said, if you see a smartphone, you know that it was ordered by someone who was smart to create the phone for an intended purpose. But then you think of all these inanimate, you know, creatures or whatever, things that don't have an intelligence within themselves, but they're being directed. Now, how do you explain that? You know, you can say matter plus chance plus time, but I mean, is that a fitting explanation when you see it working toward an ordered purpose? You know, the individual cell, when you when you get a microscope on a cell and you're like, this is a complex, massive design of machinery and engineering here. And how on earth is this, you know, just created by, you know, and working, yeah, working as it's intended, right? So bottom line, then, again, B-U-M-P-D, um, the fifth argument, just to kind of summarize, it's known as Aquinas' teleological argument. It's similar to the modern-day argument from intelligent design, but it's a little bit nuanced. So this argument presumes that individual components have some form of drive or initiative in and of themselves. You know, so like one of the uh, great things we'll talk about down the road as we get into this memory aid of uh, jumped is going to be the argument from design, which basically, you know, is going to look at the fine tuning um, of the universe and, and how things are, uh, you know, just exquisitely fine tuned to, um, you know, that 
on its own, you really couldn't, you know, explain this apart from some kind of intelligent cause. If if it's fine tuned, there must be a a fine tuner. So, um, kind of just to summarize what we've been doing here so far. Again, we talked about scientism. We talked about this era that we're in that you know uh, the culture wants to kind of worship science. You got to expand your vision to think more of science as knowledge. And that, you know, we also have knowledge in theology and philosophy and history and the arts and so forth. But then we've got these rational arguments, logic, that Thomas Aquinas uses to kind of posit to people to say that there is a supreme being. Anybody who can think should be able to kind of conclude that, you know, if I see a, uh, a footprint, I must conclude that there was a foot. If I see a deer track, I must conclude there's a deer. If I see the universe, I must conclude that there is yeah. a universe maker. That's kind of common sense. If I see a painting... <laughs> There's an artist. If I see a sculpture, I know there is a creator. Yeah. So, number one, summary, the argument from necessary being. Because objects in the world come into existence and pass out of it, it is possible for those objects to exist or not exist at any particular time. However, nothing can come from nothing. This means something must exist at all times we call this God. So the question to ask, why is there something rather than nothing? You explain being to me in a better way, and then we'll see what you have. Number two, the argument from the uncaused cause. Because nothing can cause itself, everything must have a cause or something that creates an effect on another thing. Without a first cause, there would be no others. Therefore, we call this first cause God. So the question is, here's the universe. It's one great effect. What caused it to be? Especially when you think about what it takes. You can't have something greater than the effect that's not in the cause. So we see something that is massively powerful to set things to make it happen. And then, again, a lot of the Big Bang cosmology in the last 50 years has kind of really highlighted this. And it's going to be amazing more when this James Webb telescope is out that will really highlight more of, of the universe. Number three, the argument for motion. Our senses can perceive motion by seeing that things act on one another. Whatever moves is moved by something else. Consequently, there must be a first mover that creates this chain reaction emotions. We call this unmoved mover God. So the question then becomes, you can ask, what got the ball rolling? <clears throat> Who set things in motion? Obviously, it had to be something. It had to be something very powerful to kind of get it started. Number four, argument from perfection. There are different degrees of goodness in different things. Therefore, there must be a being of the highest form of good by which we judge all other standards, this perfect being we call God. So then you say, what is your standard? Of goodness, you can't say something is right or wrong or bad or whatnot if there's not some standard. Like, but we all recognize it. It's hot. It's cold. You know, it's smart. It's not. So, and if it's just all by chance, what meaning does it have at all? Yes, we all kind of have standards. Yeah. You know. And then, lastly, the argument from design. You know, all things have an order or arrangement that leads them to a particular goal. Because the order of the universe cannot be the result of chance, design, or purpose. Purpose must be at work. This implies. A divine intelligence. So bottom line, when you look at these things, what is the inference to the best explanation? Just from a reasonable point of, point of view, um, I think the data that we have, the evidence says that, you know, like Lee Strobel said in his book, Case for a Creator, when I looked at the evidence, I didn't have enough faith to be an atheist. You've convinced me. I think you've <laughs> convinced a lot of other people. Come back and see us next time, too, please. And remember... What that rich young ruler did that was wrong, he went away. Don't go away. And if you're away, come back. If you're, if you're back, bring someone back with you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.
You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents. Thank <laughs> you.